Today on The Matt Wall Show, a former Trump staffer claims that she was the victim of battery when Trump, quote, forcibly kissed her. Uh, the video of the incident is, is out now, and it seems to completely vindicate Trump. We're going to talk about that and also what we can learn from this whole case. Uh, also, I want to talk about a, a real example of true courage and female empowerment. A teenage girl in Connecticut is standing up against the madness of allowing boys into girl sports. Uh, this, as I said, is real courage. This is something feminists should be celebrating, but for the most part, they're not. We're going to talk about that today also on The Matt Wall Show. You know, I wouldn't normally air my uh, domestic grievances on the show. I don't believe in, you know, getting into personal things and talking about things that happen at the home with the family. But I have to say that I, I got into a pretty heated argument last night in my house, um, very emotional, uh, with my kids. And because they claimed that goldfish crackers are better than Cheez-Its. And so we got into a big debate about it. Because it's, it's a, just an absurd claim, obviously. And the thing is, they had no facts. They had no evidence. Uh, they had no logic. They had done no research. And they were just making this claim. So I, I just demolished them in the debate. I annihilated them. I wasn't even close. And here's the moral of the story. Um, when given the chance, you always have to own the libs. Okay, Owning the libs is a moral obligation, even when the libs are your own kids even when the libs are six years old, which my kids are, uh, and really all six-year-olds six year six year are, are, are libs at the end of the day. Uh, they you know, operate the same sort of, and they, and they argue the same sort of way also. So um, anyway, I, I guess I, I thought about maybe spending the whole show talking about the Cheez-It versus Goldfish question, but I think I'll save that for another day. Today, I want to begin with um, uh, talking about President Trump being conclusively and absolutely vindicated against at least one of the accusations um, against him. And I think that there's, when we look at this situation, there's a lot we can learn about it. And so we're going to talk about that in just a second. But first, I want to tell you that today's podcast is brought to you by Vincero Watches, which I happen to be wearing right now. No matter what you consider your style to be, a classic quality wristwatch is something that I think every man needs uh, because there's going to be occasions where you want to look classy, you want to dress things up a bit, and wearing a computer on your, your wrist, wearing an Apple Watch, just isn't going to get it done. We're partnering with Vincero, so you can get a truly stunning watch at an even more impressive price. Exclusive for our listeners, Vincero's offering a 15% off deal off of their exceptionally crafted watches. Uh, go to vincerowatches.com forward slash Walsh and use code Walsh to save an extra 15% off. That's V-I-N-C-E-R-O watches.com forward slash Walsh, code Walsh for 15% off. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, I'm wearing one of the watches right now. If you can see, uh, this is our first time partnering with the Vincero guys and they were nice enough to send me one. And um, this one that I'm wearing right, right now is the Chrono S Matte Gray. I've been wearing it a lot, get a lot of compliments um, people tell me that uh, it, when, I, when I'm wearing a watch, I, when, I, when I run into someone, they say, wow, you're normally so ugly. Something has changed. And then I say, it's the watch. You know, but also, how dare you? That hurts my feelings. So um, as I said, it's the Chrono S Macre that I've been watching. But there are dozens of watches you could choose from. In fact, uh, I went to the website. I picked my own top five. So if you go to VinceraWatches.com forward slash Walsh, you can see my picks. Don't forget, to, again, to use code Walsh for 15% off. And uh, these watches, look, they look a lot more expensive than they really are. It's a great deal. 
VinceroWatches.com forward slash Walsh. All right. Um, a former campaign aide for President Trump, Alva Johnson, filed a lawsuit against Trump months ago, alleging that she was the victim of battery. That's how she puts it, battery. She says she was forcibly kissed by the president during the campaign. And uh, this incident has apparently, supposedly, traumatized her and haunted her. And she can't stop thinking about it. In fact, let's, b before I, we do have footage now of the alleged battery, you know, and you, so you can see it for yourself. Before we play that, though, I want to go back a few months to Alva Johnson's first media interview, which you could probably already guess was on MSNBC. And uh, she, she described this traumatic event. I want to play this for you so you can see how she described it before she knew, presumably, this is before she knew that there was actual video of the thing itself happening. Uh, before she knew that, here is her describing her, uh, the, the battery. Here it is. As he passed me, I looked at him and I said, now you go and do a good job, go kick ass, because I've been away from my family for a long time. And so he stops, he grabs my hand and he starts looking at me. And then as he's looking at me, he's holding my hand, he said, I'm gonna do a good job, I'm not gonna let you down, I know you've been away from your family and I appreciate what you're doing. And he's holding my hand, holding my hand, and then he starts coming towards me. And so he's still holding my hand. And then I just had like a lot of internal dialogue. I'm like, okay, is he gonna hug me? You know, like, and then he keeps coming closer. And I'm like, okay, is he gonna, is he gonna hug me? I'm like, oh my God, I think he's going to kiss me. Cause he was coming directly for my face. I mean, this is with the bill of a baseball cap. And so he just starts getting closer. And then when I realized that he's going to kiss my lips, I turned my mouth and he kissed me. He caught me right in the corner of my mouth. And I was just so keep in mind how she described that she was grabbed by the hand. Um, he stared at her, tried to kiss her on the lips. She turned desperately away, trying to evade his mouth as it came toward her. Um, and then it, it, the, the kiss landed on the corner of her mouth, she says. That's how she described it. Here she is in the same interview, um, tearing up and, and getting very emotional as she continues to recount the trauma she suffered. The Access Hollywood tape comes out. Right. Two things happen. The president says, uh, I just start kissing women if I'm attracted to them. Mm -hmm. You can do anything, you can grab them by wherever. Um, and then a number of women make on the record accusations about similar unwanted sexual contact. What's going through your head when you hear that? So when I heard the audio, I mean, I was like screaming in my car. I'm like, oh my God, that's exactly what he did to me. Like he literally described exactly what he did to me, minus the grab, the pee. He, I see him as like a magnet, I can't even help and I just go right in the kiss, I don't ask. And so for me, it solved the questions. You know, you, you kind of second guess and you, so it solved every question I had about the intention. It solved every question I had about the amount of inappropriateness that, that it was. And um, I never went back to work. All right, now here's the thing. Even if the incident unfolded exactly as she describes, uh, I think it would be quite a stretch to call it battery, even just based on what she says. Just if we were to take it at face value and, and say, well, that's exactly what happened. Um, 
By that description, it, it sounds like it could be just an awkward greeting. It doesn't really sound like battery to me. But the real problem is that her description does not match up at all with what actually happened. Just released yesterday, here is a video confirmed by Trump's lawyers and Alva Johnson's lawyers. They both confirm this is a real video. And it appears to capture the incident in question. Watch this. So there you go. Uh, that was that was battery. She tells us if if you were in the room that day. Now, now the thing is, when she 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 made this claim, and other people who were it was obviously a crowded RV they were in, a lot of other people around. The other people around had come out and said, "I was there. I, I didn't never saw. I never saw anything like this happen." What, what is she talking about? Uh, now you see why they had no memory because it was a totally innocuous nothing event. It was a greeting between two people and nothing more. He never grabs her hand at all. Um, the, ev- the event un- unfolds over the course of about three seconds. He doesn't try to kiss her lips. He goes right for the cheek. Um, she doesn't like turn away, trying to get away, trying to escape his grasp. In fact, she appears, it looks like she kind of gives him an air kiss on the side of his face, which for all we know is, is all he did for, with her. We don't actually know if his lips physically made contact with her cheek. Even if that did happen, who cares? Um, this, again, is a normal interaction, normal greeting between two people. The kind, of, the kind of greeting that happens every day across the world, probably billions of times a day, um, especially if you happen to travel to Europe. So, I mean, if this is sexual assault, then the entire continent of Europe must be immediately arrested. Because then, I mean, this is, this is how people greet each other. In fact, not just Europe. I mean, you go down south, uh, south of the border, you go into Central America, South America. Uh, many, in fact, many places across the world, this is a very normal way to greet people. Um, in our country, we tend to be a little bit more reserved with, when it comes to physical sorts of greetings. And I am too. Now, look, I, I'm not going to go kiss somebody on the cheek. Uh, the, as, as a greeting. Uh, I don't even like to hug people if they aren't in my family. But that's just me. That, those are my own hang-ups. It's just my own personal preference. It, I, I am hugged by people, uh, if you want to say, non-consensually all the time. Like, when, when I would prefer not to go, you know, I'm going for the handshake, they go for the hug. That's sort of awkward. That happens with me all the time. Um, am I being assaulted? Am I traumatized by it? No, it's just... That's it. Just a, it's just a normal human thing. It, maybe it's a brief moment of being uncomfortable, and that's all. And then you, you move on with your life, and that's the end of it. So this is so transparently bogus, which is why I wanted to play those clips of Johnson talking about the, quote, battery before she knew that there were video. There was video of it. In fact, here is, um, I just want to play one more clip from the same MSNBC interview. Here she is describing her emotional state months after the kiss happened on the cheek. Here she is uh, describing what she was like months after the, uh, the incident. I immediately found a lawyer 
And um, a couple of days after Access Hollywood, I spoke to a lawyer who found me to be very credible. They could see how distraught I was. I was down in Florida, a state I didn't live in. I was living in campaign housing that my boyfriend and I went in when my roommate went to work and got all of our things, made sure everything, you know, left the keys on the dining room table and um, found alternate housing that we paid for. And, um, and so... I found an attorney right afterwards, but he, um, he, for business reasons, he didn't move forward with my case. And so at that point, um, you know, James Comey has the breaking news. And so I'm down in Florida crying my eyes out, listening to Solange, you know. <laughs> and um, breaking news is they're reopening the Hillary Clinton investigation. So I became terrified because it shifted the momentum and I'm like oh my god he might actually win this and so I'm thinking like what am I going to do like sue the president you know I became scared okay distraught crying my eyes out terrified scared at another point she says that right after it happened she called her parents right after it happened and she became so emotional describing it that she had to pull over to the side of the highway uh, while telling over a kiss on the cheek she was kissed on the cheek and she claims that she was in tears on the highway to pull over because she was so overcome with, with it, so traumatized by it. Um, is there any conceivable way that this woman is really that fragile? Is it, is it even possible that there is any sincerity to what she's describing? Um, well, we know that it's not true, but as far as her description of her emotional state, I mean, is it possible that like three months after she was kissed on the cheek by somebody, she's in her house in tears crying about it. Uh, no, I think that, that that's just not even possible. This is a con. It's a fraud. It's a lie, apparently. Um, and it's important for us to see how compelling and sincere she seemed when describing what turned out to be the most innocuous human interaction imaginable. And this, okay, this feminist is why men are now wary about working with women um, or even interacting with women they don't know, especially alone. This is why. There's a, it, it's not just that the false accusation was made, uh, the, the apparently false accusation, I should say. It's not just that the apparently false accusation was made, it's that she, she was so convincing about it. Um, so, uh, you know, appear to be so genuine and sincere. And so for men, you see that you think, I mean, this, this woman seems to be kind of like a ticking time. If you, if you, who knows? I mean, if you are interacting with a woman you don't know, how do you know if she's just a normal person or if she's the next Alva Johnson, who's going to, next thing you know, be in, in tears describing uh, an incident that never actually took place. There's a candidate for governor in, I think, Mississippi, Robert Foster, who's getting a lot of blowback right now because of a policy that he's enacted where he will not be alone with any woman who is not his wife, period. Uh, he won't let women cover him, uh, you know, if it means that they're riding alone together or they're alone together in any context, you know, so that so female reporters, female staffers, it's not that he won't hire any females, but he's not going to ever be in a situation where he's alone with them. 
He's being called sexist for this, of course. And it's being framed as Foster not wanting to be around women because he doesn't trust himself. That's not it, you see. Uh, it's not that he doesn't trust himself, it's that he doesn't trust the other person necessarily. He doesn't trust that the other person will be honest about their interactions. And of course, it, because he doesn't know them. So how is he supposed to know? Alva Johnson, I'm sure, to Trump, just seemed like an, another ordinary staffer, perfectly normal person. Um, he trusted her enough to just greet her in a normal way. He had no idea that he, she was going to turn around and try to turn this into sexual assault, basically. So you never know. Never know. That's the problem. And you can't be trusting. You can't assume. Um, especially as a political figure. And this is where we are now as a society. This is where Me Too has brought us. I mean, it, it's just not reasonable to claim that men shouldn't be worried about false accusations. We have apparently yet another example of one right here in real time that we can see for ourselves. And this is likely the second false accusation against Trump in the last month. The first one being probably the accusation from, that, uh, from the kooky advice columnist whose story just made no sense whatsoever at all. Now, if you're saying that fears about false accusations are unreasonable, you must either be insisting that false accusations don't happen, which we know that's not the case, or you must be saying that false accusers aren't going to be believed anyway because we're all so good and society is so good at, at weeding them out so you don't have to worry about it. But we know that's not the case either. In fact, we know that uh, according to the left, according to a lot of people, women have to be believed automatically regardless, unless they're accusing Bill Clinton, in which case we can ignore them. But um, otherwise, women have to be believed. That's what we're, we're told. So that is a, you see how that can be a frightening thing for men. Women have to be believed. We know there are women out there willing to make stuff up. And we also know that there are women out there who are willing to make stuff up and can do it in a way that seems very sincere. As men, now that doesn't mean that there are millions of women like that. It certainly doesn't mean that most women are like that. But the point is, you don't know. And here's the other thing. According to feminists... Um, there are tons of men out there who are infected by toxic masculinity and who are either rapists or, or uh, potential rapists. I mean, they still claim that, what is it, one in every four women on a college campus are raped? That's what they tell us. That's the, that, that is the, the totally made up and false statistic. 25% of all women on a college campus are raped, according to, um, according to feminists. Now, it, that figure, again, is just completely false and made up and obviously crazy. Now, if that was actually true, you, you would be insane to send your daughter to a college campus. There's a 25% there's a chance she'll be raped and you're sending her there? I mean, you, you'd have to be a horrible person to do that. Um, but of course, that's, that's not the case. Feminists, though, think it is or say that it is. Which means if, if just on a college campus alone, if 25% of women are raped on a college campus, that means that there are just a, a millions of rapists out there. I mean, there are so many rapists. So if, if you feel that way about it, then wouldn't you be in favor of what Robert Foster is doing? And what, when men say, look, I'm just not going to be around women because I, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to make something up, 
you would think feminists would say, well, fine, because, yeah, I mean, like millions of you people are rapists, so this is probably for the best anyway. According to you, if you think there are that many rapists out there, wouldn't, wouldn't you be the one saying that men and women should never be alone together? Or do you not really believe the things that you say? Um, okay, let's, a uh, couple other things. This is, I just want to mention this briefly because this is nice. Uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio, who is a very serious contender for the presidency, says that if he's president, he will pay female athletes equally. Okay, he'll ensure that equal pay happens for female athletes. And that's really good stuff. Uh, I think that's great. It, it reminds me of my plan, um, if I'm elected president, to make all zebras blue. Um, that's just something I'm going to do. Um, also, I'm going to ensure that all diet soda tastes just as good as regular soda. And the other thing I'm planning on doing, and this is, this is really interesting, part of my platform that I haven't heard anyone else talk about, is my plan is I'm going to, um, uh, I'm going to capture a rainbow in a box. Uh, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seal the box and I'm going to mail it to your front door. And I'm going to mail everybody rainbows in boxes. And then you open the box and the rainbow will come shooting out. And there will be a leprechaun at the other end of it uh, who will make you pancakes. And give you gold, too. So those are my plans. My plans are just as feasible, realistic, and mature as uh, Bill de Blasio's plans. And really, uh, as, as any of the Democrats' plans. I think my plans are just as good, if not better. And more likely to actually happen. Okay, there's an excellent article in the Wall Street Journal today written by Madeline Kearns, which profiles a young woman by the name of Selena Sewell, or I want to say Sewell, S-O-U-L-E. That's a Sewell, right? Not Sewell. Selena is 16 years old, and she, uh, you know, she truly is an example of courage and female empowerment. Turning the, the, the sarcasm button off for a minute. This is not sarcasm. This really is an example of courage and female empowerment, a real example. Um much more so than certain attention-craving female soccer stars. Here we have a girl who's very courageous, an athlete. Um, She has filed a civil rights complaint under Title IX over Connecticut's insane and sexist policy of allowing biological males to compete against girls in high school sports. Selena is a track star um, at a school in Connecticut, and girls track and field has been particularly hard hit by the gender madness that's infecting the state and the country as a whole. Two male athletes, and we've talked about this in the past, two male athletes uh, have for the last two years been dominating girls track and field in the state, uh, scooping up all the medals, while the girls who have worked for years to earn these medals are deprived. They have no chance, they have no shot, because they lack the biological advantages that these males possess. It's just as simple as that. And, you know, I ran track and field when I was, I ran male track and field, you know, where I belonged, when I was in high school. And um, it is, uh, you know, you only get four years to, to either win all the medals you can and achieve what you want to achieve, or to impress the college scouts and be able to go on to college and do it. So it's only four years you have to do it. And imagine you finally get into high school, you're, you're running varsity track, and uh, you've been training for this, and you're very good, 
you're, you're better than almost all the other girls out there. Uh, and then two men show up and take all that. No, they don't just take the glory and, and, and everything, although they do take that as well. But they take, the, they take the medals. They take the actual accomplishment itself. I mean, think about how horrible that is. And yeah, you know. Now, if you're a girl racing in a, you know, doing the 800 meter race, and there are two dudes in the race too, and you come in third, and the two dudes come in one and two, you know that you really won. Okay, those two guys are cheating. Their medals don't count. Uh, you, you know, you really won, but technically on paper, you didn't. Technically on paper, they took the medals. So even though you know it and everyone else knows it, it doesn't really technically count. And that's, that's a horrible thing. Two sentences from the Wall Street Journal article, I think, sum up the situation. Um, says, the results speak for themselves. Listen to this. Since Connecticut's athletic conference enacted its liberal gender identity policy, two men have won 15 women's state championships, titles that were held by 10 different Connecticut girls the previous year. 15 so this is not, again, this is not just some, uh, you know, issue that's being invented by conservatives. This is actually happening. They took 15 state championship titles from the girls. And if you caught that, th- these were titles that were held by 10 different girls in the past. So in the past, you'd have multiple g- girls winning these various different events. And that's usually how it goes. That, that's how it goes in the men's field, too. I mean, you're, you're not, you, in the men's field, you're not going to usually have two guys taking 15 state championships in two years uh, because you, you're not going to be able to dominate that many events. Like, either you're, you're middle distance, you're distance, you're a sprinter. Maybe there's a little bit of crossover. But probably whoever wins the 100 isn't going to win the 800. That's if you're in where, if, if you are where you belong and you have real competition. But this just shows what a gap, what a disparity there is where these guys can waltz in and they can win events that uh, they've never even raced before. They just walk in there, little training, little practice, probably ate a cheeseburger, you know, earlier in the day and they could just, they can win the race, no problem. It, it, just because they have advantages, they, they physically, they have things going for them that the girls don't. I have, I don't have the, the numbers in front of me right now, but I've gone through this before. I've written about it. You can go find what I've written on it. Um, I've gone and looked to compare the, these two guys, the times that they're winning with against the girls, comparing those times against the boys. And what you find is that um, the times that give them first place finishes against the girls and state championships against the girls, against the guys, they wouldn't even place. They wouldn't even be on the track. We're talking about, okay, this time, whatever it is in the 100 meter, that's going to get you first place against the girls. Against the guys, it puts you in like 20th place. That is how wide this gap is. That these boys, if they were where they belong, they wouldn't have any medals. None. Because they're slow, actually, by a boy's standard. Against the girls, they have 15 medals. This is great. But fortunately, Selena Sewell is uh, standing up. She's so far, from what I read, the only girl who has put her name on this complaint publicly. But she's certainly not the only girl who feels this way. 
I mean, I'm sure they all do, but they, they, they feel that they can't come out and say it because they're going to be attacked. They're going to suffer consequences. And it's true. They will be attacked and they will suffer consequences. That's how crazy this is. This is, these are opportunities being stolen from girls. And on top of that, if the girls speak up, they will be shouted down and told to shut up. So you want sexism, you want misogyny, you want opportunities being taken from women, you, you, want, all, you want examples of all that stuff? Here it is. All right, uh, let's move on to emails. MattWallShow at gmail.com. MattWallShow at gmail.com. This is from Jennifer. Says, hi, Matt. While I completely agree with the point you brought up the other day regarding schools filling students' heads with liberal nonsense and that homeschooling is a great alternative, I have to break it to you that every single homeschool kid I have ever met is incredibly weird or socially awkward. I think homeschooling would be an absolutely wonderful way to educate my children in the future, but I also want them to be socially normal. I will just have to hope I successfully raise my children to not believe the liberal junk they hear at school like my parents raised me. I'm sure this comment will put me at the top of your execution list when you come into power, but I am willing to take the risk. Well, Jennifer, uh, so you, I don't need to tell you, you already know that. Um, enjoy your, your you know, final months or years of, of uh, earthly existence. Uh, secondarily, uh, I, 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 <laughs> um, I, I like it. You know, the good thing about this show is that this is the only show where the people who email me, I can just casually threaten to kill them and then move on. And it's, to it's totally fine and normal. All right. Um, uh, but then, of course, when I, it's not really, because when I am in charge, when I'm dictator, uh, it's, it, you know, it's not, it's, this is not really killing. It's, it's, this is a legal punishment, you know, um, so it's a different sort of thing. All right. As far as homeschool kids being weird, you know, first of all, that's, that's not my experience. Um, I've been around a lot of homeschool families, a lot of homeschool kids. I've got homeschool kids in my family. I, I go to a lot of homeschool conferences. That is just really not my experience at all. Now, are there some weird homeschool kids out there? Yeah, just like there are weird public school kids, there are weird people of all different sizes, stripes, and, and backgrounds. Um, but is there, a, is there a larger proportion of, quote, weird kids in homeschool? I don't think so at all. It just simply is not my experience. And um, I think normally, now you can correct me if I'm wrong, Normally, when people say that, it's just sort of a stereotype that they've come to believe, and maybe they've met a few homeschool kids that have helped to reinforce that stereotype. Usually when people say that, though, they don't really have experience being around a lot of homeschool families. What strikes me about homeschool kids is that they are so intensely normal, if that makes sense. Um, they are often so just well-adjusted and, and mature and able to carry on a conversation. That's what I find with homeschool kids. And I think maybe we're so used to kids being uh, immature and, uh, you know, unable to carry on conversations, unable to interact with adults. We're so used to that, that when we meet a kid who's normal, well-adjusted, mature, shake your hand, look you in the eye, have a conversation, when we meet that, which is, which is healthy and normal and good, we think, oh, that's weird. And maybe it is weird by, in the sense of being abnormal compared to what we're used to. But what, what we're used to is not good. I will say that um, 
when it comes to social, maybe we should stop using terms like weird, which is totally subjective. When it comes to social, being socially adjusted, when it comes to um, uh, being, you know, socially developed, uh, things like that, I think homeschool way outdoes public school in that regard. Way outdoes it. And there's a very clear reason for that. Because in public school, what does the socialization process consist of? How are kids socialized in public school? They are socialized by being thrown into an environment with a bunch of other kids, and they learn about the world, they learn how to act from the other kids. And they start aping their peers, acting like their peers, and, and that's what the, quote, socialization of public school is. In homeschooling, you're around your parents and other adults much more. Um, you spend much more time around your parents, around other adults. The class sizes are much, much smaller. A lot of one-on-one -on -one time with adults. And not just, your, uh, not just your parents either. I mean, you have homeschool co-ops and other things where families get together and kind of share the burden. But still, it's a, you're around a lot of adults and you're learning from other adults how to socialize, how to behave. I think that's going to make you better adjusted. And so the question is, would you rather your child learn how to behave from imitating adults or from imitating other kids? I think that's the basic question you have to ask yourself. All right, this is from Kaylee says, I apologize in advance for the lengthy question, but the other day in your show, you said it would be foolish to say that we ourselves have cultural blind spots that could in the future be considered as bad, if not worse, as racism, sexism, etc. What do you think those blind spots may be? When you eventually take your rightful place as leader, you have spoken about how you would shoot anyone who dared do something in public as despicable as licking ice cream and putting, putting it back. Would dog owners who let their dogs go to the bathroom anywhere and everywhere and didn't pick it up also be included in those executed? Um, Kaylee, uh, yes to your last question, absolutely. I mean, letting your dog, I, I just, I can't even... I can barely speak about that issue. It makes me so angry. The idea that you just let your dog defecate on someone else's property and then just leave it there? You're bringing a, a, a living creature over to someone's property. Say, hey, go ahead and leave it. Take, defecate on their property and leave it. I mean, I find that to be, you have to be a sociopath to do that. Um, as, term, and as far as the cultural blind spots, well, it probably won't shock you the example I'm going to give. But um, slavery was a blind spot in human civilization all throughout the world for thousands of years. It was just something people did. It was an institution. It was accepted. And for thousands of years, hardly anyone even questioned it. That was a blind spot. Pretty big one. I think we also have a pretty big and very similar, morally, um, blind spot, and that is with abortion. Uh, abortion is our blind spot. And uh, it's not a blind spot for all of us. It's not one for me. Hopefully it's not one for you. It's not one for pro-lifers. We see it. But this is what we're up against, where for us, it's so clear that, I mean, you're killing a human being. That is wrong. That is such a clear and simple concept to us. And we're trying to explain it. One of the frustrations we have as pro-lifers is that people who are in that blind spot, they just don't. Be, and it, it's, 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 it's an, I think, a willful thing. They're willfully ignorant. They've closed their eyes to the truth. And so you're just trying to get them to open their eyes and close that and, and, and get rid of that blind spot. Look into that darkened area of their conscience. Uh, that's what we're trying to do, much like the abolitionists were trying to do. And I think we have a similar frustration that the abolitionists had, where it's, it was like they were looking around, how can you people not see the problem here? 
Are you kidding me? Do I really have to explain this to you? Um, this is from Anthony says, Matt, I'm emailing you to catch up on the situation here in Mississippi. Robert Foster is catching hell over not allowing a female reporter to ride alone with him all over the state to cover his run for governor. He uses the Billy Graham rule. I recommend the CNN interview he and the reporter did for guidance on the issue. I worked for Robert Foster for two years and the way that, um, the mainstream media is treating him is making me mad because I worked for him for two years and he doesn't deserve this treatment. He's a down-to-earth guy, respects everybody no matter who he's talking to. His popularity is now soaring because of his treatment and he will, be, he will keep Mississippi in Republican hands. Do you also use the Billy Graham rule? The show is excellent. Keep it, keep it up. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, I got this email before. We, as you heard, we, we just talked about the Robert Foster situation. I agree that the treatment he's getting, the backlash is totally unreasonable. And as I said, what's happening with Trump now with the situation with Alva Johnson just proves, and it's not the only thing that proves, the wisdom of the precaution that Robert Foster's taking. Do I use the Billy Graham rule? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's my wife and I, it's, it's not even like some official policy that we've sat down and hammered out and we've come up with the rules and everything. Um, and I think for a lot of people, when you talk about the Billy Graham rule, that's, you know, or they follow the Billy Graham rule in their marriage. I think for most of people in that camp, it, it's the same thing. It's like, not like they got a whole list of rules or something, uh, you know, a complicated set of guidelines. It's just a general understanding that, um, you know, there's, you're not going to go on a one-on-one -on -one lunch date with a member of the opposite sex. Um, unless it's a family member or something like that. Um, you're just, you're not going to put yourself in compromising situations. Um, when it comes to interacting with members of the opposite sex outside the family, then there are just certain boundaries you put in place. Now there are boundaries with all people. There are boundaries with members of the same sex. I mean, there are, you should always have boundaries with people, all different kinds of boundaries, not just, not just sexual boundaries either. So there are always boundaries, but depending on who the person is, what your relationship with them is, their sex, their, you know, their age. I mean, all different, the, all these factors come into play and they're going to determine what sorts of boundaries you have and where those boundaries are. That to me just makes a lot of sense. And, and most of it, I'd say in my own personal case with, in my marriage, 99% of the boundary setting is just totally, it's, it's like, you don't even need to say it. It's really obvious we're on the same page and that's it. Um, it's pretty rare where you come into a situation where you actually, where you actually have to sit down and talk about, okay, like, how are we going to handle this? Or how's this going to go? We don't usually have to do that. It's just, it's really obvious stuff for the most part. Um, and the reasons for those boundaries, there are many reasons for the boundaries. One reason is, is the reason I think Robert Foster has and what we've been, what we've been talking about. You do have to worry about, um, you do have to worry about false accusations and, and uh, you, know, you can have an innocuous conversation, an innocuous interaction. You don't know how the other person's going to take it or how they're going to twist it and use it against you later on. These, unfortunately, are things we have to think about. There is also the issue, um, I think, when, you know, when this whole thing came up with Mike Pence a couple years ago um, and the, the policy they have in their marriage, which, again, is a very normal policy that I think a lot of marriages have, even if they don't talk about it. With that, I think it's, it's not just the, pro, the, the chance of false accusation. It is also guarding your heart a little bit. 
not that you don't trust yourself or that, you know, or anything like that. It's just, it's just understanding how people are. And, uh, and so just guarding yourself a little bit. It's preventing, I think, a, a lot of times with, with affairs that happen in the workplace. I probably almost in every case, it begins with, you know, two people who are having seemingly normal interactions and they grow closer and closer and without noticing it at first. And then at a certain point, they come up to a threshold and they cross that threshold. And that's where the affair happens. I, I would wager that almost every affair happens that way. In, in that most of the time, it's not like a guy's going to work and saying to himself, I'm going to have an affair and I'm, I'm going to find someone to have an affair with. It's not how it works. It just, it, you, it gradually begins to happen. And it almost always begins with sort of the emotional affair first that the people in the affair might not even fully realize is happening, especially in the beginning. Then it graduates into the physical stuff. Um, part of the reason for putting those boundaries in place is to, you know, like I said, there's that threshold. You don't even want to come anywhere near that threshold. Like you don't even want to get to a point where you're saying to yourself, oh man, I got to pull back. This is getting inappropriate. I think the point of the Mike Pence rule, the Billy Graham rule, whatever you want to call it, it's like, I'm not even going to get to that point. I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to get within 50 miles of that point. Let's just be safe. And, uh, What's the downside, really? I mean, what are, you, what are you missing out on? You're protecting your marriage. You're protecting yourself. You're protecting your reputation. You're protecting your kids, your family. There's no downside that I can see. Better safe than sorry. All right, I think we'll leave it there. Uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. Have a great weekend. Godspeed. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, AOC's chief of staff admits his global warming plan is about completely restructuring the entire United States economy. He said the quiet part out loud. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show.